Hello, and welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5C.Consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Adaptive Executive. I'm your host, Greg Ballard, and I have a very special guest, uh, founder and CEO, Claudia Reuters, founder of The Council. Welcome, Claudia. Hi, good morning. Nice to see you. Pleasure to see you. Thanks for joining us today. So, Claudia, tell us a little bit about Council and what it is and how you got started with it. Sure. So um, Council is a, a new startup company that I'm working to build um, with the support of High Alpha. Uh, we are really focused on helping people um, really come together with intention for growth and really with in support of those who coach in particular. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer for a lot of reasons that when we give people access to the right programs, the right community, the right coaches, amazing things can happen. And we're building a platform that's designed to make all of these things easier for folks. I love it. I love it. So tell me what, um, what's the kind of the, why the purpose, what brought you to launch this particular company? Yeah. So it's obviously it's, I think everyone went through, um, the lockdown together and we all saw some of the same problems happening. Um, for, from my view throughout my career, I've seen, uh, the challenges that can arise when people feel like they don't understand their long-term development plans or their professional or personal development and how thing, you know, how the dots connect over time. And during the height of COVID, um, I saw all of that amplified. I saw people really struggling with trying to understand what their purpose was inside the corporate world or inside their personal life, um, really struggling with technology solutions and how they could manage a whole bunch of different things, um, and really just started noodling on the idea that if if there was a better way to help people find community and help people find access to coaching, we might be able to really make a difference. Um, and so started working on council with the support of high alpha in 2021. Um, and we've, we've had a, a number of interesting sort of micro pivots along the way. And we're at just at the, the edge of, um, really making a big company announcement that I'm really excited about. So. Very, very great. Exciting. So a couple of other things I wanted to mention to our listeners about you, you're also the author of yes, you can do this. Um, and that explores a women in startup. Um, and then you also have the, the host of a podcast called the 43% acknowledging yeah. that about 43% of women leave the workforce at some point in time. And so kind of bring us into your space about this. What's the, what's the theme and the focus, what kind of inspired you to, to pursue this course? Yeah. So when I think, I mean, I, I am now in my mid forties, right? So I've had a pretty long career at this point and, um, when I look back, I can see 
all the ways the dots connected. But when I started my journey, obviously had no idea what was ahead of me. Um, and I had a, a career I was really excited about in my, my twenties, I was working for an investment bank, um, in technology. I was getting, I was learning a ton. I had a great group of folks. I had an opportunity to work with, and, um, I was married to my, my husband who we're still married to, <laughs> to almost 25 years later. And, um, long story short, I had my first child who is now a freshman in college. So it gives you an idea of how much time has gone by. And when I had him, I realized I didn't, I didn't feel like I had a network or, um, an easy way to, to figure it all out and keep the job that I really cared about and, um, do what I needed to do as a, as a new parent. So I ended up stepping away from the workforce on, for, for a lot of reasons, which were pretty personal. But then when I went to at some, you know, I wasn't in a position where I could just stay in the workforce forever. And when, mm-hmm. um, when it was really time to come back in at that point, I had two kids, who, no, my younger ones now in high school. Um, I, uh, I realized that the path back in for me was through entrepreneurship. Um, and I actually started a company, um, when my kids were super little and, um, it, we built a software platform focused on accreditation and assessment for educators. And, um, ultimately we were acquired in 2014 by a company called Holt Mifflin Harcourt. And, I had this great opportunity to run their digital services division and also run a labs team for them. And um, I started to just see this pattern over and over again of, especially when I came into such a large organization where I would see women who, even if they had just gone on maternity leave, some I, I kept getting this repeating pattern of people apologizing for time they had to take to care for someone who, who needed care. And, um, I wasn't hearing that thread from my male counterparts and it just really got me thinking and reflecting on the journey I'd had. And I realized like, Hey, I would never, I don't think I would have ended up had the, with the break I had taken, um, or the step out to care for kids. I don't think I would have ended up in the senior executive position that I ended up in had it not been for my decision to go into start my own company. And, um, I just started to think about, you know, one, that there's so many different, that careers are not linear, right? That there's so many different pathways folks can take. And I also started to think about the idea that if we could get more people to think about entrepreneurship, not as necessarily a way to always be the next huge thing, but as a way to really change the rules and structures that make things so challenging. I started to really question like, why is it so difficult to think about caregiving and think about these things that are frankly part of life and life experience. And so, you know, took it from two different angles. One, I started the podcast to just get more stories out there of what was possible. And I just kind of made a list and started interviewing CEOs and authors and doctors and lawyers and stay-at-home caregivers to hear, to let people hear what their stories were. Um, so people could think about what was possible for them. And then I started working on a book designed to actually not necessarily be about my story, but to actually help people think about, um, if they wanted to start a business, what are some of the steps they could take and why doing that could actually move us beyond the like sort of lean in, lean out debate that, that kind of surfaced in the news quite a bit over the last few years, this idea that you're either all in on your career or you're completely out. And, um, I don't think that really is representative of, of the experience that most people have. Mm. Wow. So first of all, thank you for sharing the story. And this is an amazing topic. <laughs> 
I want to explore this a little deeper with you. I'm, I'm curious, how long were you out of the workforce from between when you stepped back to when you maybe started your, your initial startup? Yeah. So I think it was um, like, I mean, I was working on little things here and there and trying different things, but I was, I, I, it was really about six, six years. So when my youngest one was in first grade was when I really went back in full-time with funding and all the, mm-hmm. all the things um, to start a real company. So, okay. So yeah, so that's a good chunk of time. And I think <clears throat> most people, you know, on the track that you were on would think that is a, a career like a, it's a torpedo to a career, right? Yes. Um, to be gone that long out of that industry, and not 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 every industry is that way. Um, but the space that you were in, and the space that a lot of women are in now, they can relate to this. I'm curious, would you be comfortable maybe sharing some of the mindsets and the emotions that you were processing at each stage? Like, sure. what was things going through your mind when you were? saying, hey, you, in that first initial struggle of like, I really want to do my job, but I'm now a parent and I really want to be a good parent. And, you know, that initial kind of aho, like I have to step away. Can you take us back to that moment? Yeah. And it was actually a very difficult decision in many ways because I, um, I, you know, I think sometimes people, what gets lost on folks is just the pure, the challenges of logistics in those very early days with a new baby. And, you know, you're not parent of four. I can, I, a parent of four, but I'm a dad of four. I should say that that's very different than a mom of four. Yeah. But it's, it's that those logistics of the first few months and weeks. And I was living in a fourth, my husband and I were living in a fourth floor walk-up apartment in New York city. And my job was actually in Connecticut and Stanford. And I was doing a reverse commute every day. Um, and, um, so that's about an hour, hour on the train. Um, and I didn't really at that point, this is a long time ago. Right. And I'm sure that everyone's taken steps to be more progressive since then. Um, but at that point, I, and I didn't have, um, I was the first of all my friends to have a kid, a baby. So I didn't have anyone I could turn to that I really trusted and say, Hey, how did you navigate this? Um, I was in technology in an investment bank. So most of my coworkers were men. Um, and so I didn't, um, I, I honestly, I remember feeling really like, uh, pretty isolated on where, what my options were or what I thought I should be doing. And the, the role models that I had who I are still my role models, but were my mom and my mother-in-law, but both of whom had been stay at home moms at that point. And so they were very much advocates of, you know, Hey, you need to, to make this your, um, your full-time moment here. And I didn't really see a lot of logistical paths that were, that were reasonable. Like, you know, I could drop my kid off at daycare and then take an hour to commute. And then, you know, I, I just remember feeling like I didn't think it was feasible and, um, I wasn't in a position to really, you know, I think now in 2022, people are, are really much more open to, negotiating flexible environments and negotiating different things. This was a long time ago. And in hindsight, maybe I could have, but I didn't feel like I had the the right or the ability to do it at the time. Cause, and so that I would actually mentor myself in the past and say, Hey, maybe just ask for some help or ask, ask, ask for some different things here. Um, so yeah, I remember just thinking, 
I'm, you know, I, I talked to my husband and obviously we, we kind of just made the decision together and I ended up stepping away. Um, and, and now I don't, I don't have any regrets about it though. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy with where, where everybody is right now. Um, and I feel like I look back and I reflect and I, I know that I had some really, um, special times with my kids when they were really little. And I'm glad and really grateful that I had an opportunity to do that. So. Uh, that's fantastic, Claudia. And I th appreciate you sharing that because I think our listeners can relate or some of our listeners can relate to that moment. Um, that you were in. And so the next moment I'd like you to take it back to is that process to re-engage. You know, you, you, your, your boys are, I think you have two boys, right? Yeah, 19 and 17, yeah. Okay, so your boys are now in school and you're now thinking, you know, take us back to that moment. What what was the, the kind of the, the journey internally for you to pursue a startup rather than re-engaging the workforce? Yeah, there were so many different things going on. Um, one, um, I remember starting to look at different um, jobs that might be out there and also still realizing that most of the jobs that were out there that were interesting to me in, this, in the, the place we were living at that point still were going to require some logistical headaches. Like, okay, even if my kids are now in school from eight to three, well, the work day is, you know, I'm probably going to be out the door by seven and home by six. And how do I figure out those, those windows of care? And, um, you know, and so I started actually thinking about the fact that, gosh, it's so weird that the school day doesn't align with the work day in the first place, because that would make life a lot easier. <laughs> you know? um, right. And um, so, so I, you know, I still saw some challenges there, but also saw that, you know, I, I had, I had been caring for my kids. Um, I had also done um, a home renovation project. I was on a board of directors for, uh, in a volunteer way for a, a local library. Um, and I realized that at that point, none of those other things I had done, which you could kind of say were some aspect of project management, um, being on a board, um, you know, making sure the kids had what they needed throughout the day. You know, I was actually pretty organized of like, okay, we are doing, you know, breakfast and then reading time and that time we're going outside. And, you know, I had a very much like created a structure for the day. I realized that all these things I was doing to, in my view, successfully manage my home and some of the projects I was working on and, and volunteer things I was doing were not translating into, you know, a validating experience for an organization. And um, I thought, I remember thinking that was odd. And now I look back and there's this, um, there's this research that's been done more recently that's come up again. And it's the idea of the motherhood penalty and the, or the, yeah, the motherhood penalty and the fatherhood bonus. And there's actual research to support the idea that when a woman or anyone who could become pregnant, right? Like a woman who is a mom or like is in childbearing age is perceived unsubconsciously as less responsible than their male counterpart. Whereas when a man becomes a father, he's automatically notched up a rank and considered more responsible, more um, capable. And so I think there is something to the idea that you know, you, as women, it's, there's these subconscious biases we encounter that we're, we're we, we do to each other too. It's, it's just part of the world we live in, um, that make it harder to like, you, you know, you, that's why I think you hear women explaining away 
their time to care for others versus saying, look how responsible I was. I made sure that, you know, my kids were off to a great start. I made sure that bills were paid on time. I made sure that the housing project was taken care of. I made sure the local library was, you know, funded, like all these things that are, you know, they're, they're discounted and apologized for. Whereas, um, I remember at different points in my career interviewing men for different jobs and they might say something like, oh yeah, I've been, um, I've been out of the workforce for about a year and, you know, I had a, had a good windfall or a good, good outcome on a business deal. So I took some time to, to celebrate that. Now I'm coming back in. So it's like when it's like somehow like even a break for a man is sometimes perceived as something that that is a the notch up, whereas the, the women were apologizing for like the hard work they were doing and in, in their time away. Um, sorry, that was kind of a long-winded way of explaining, but it's something I've been kind of thinking through. Of yeah, no, starting. Yeah, uh, so I've never heard those specific examples, right? But what you're saying absolutely makes sense to me. And as I think back through my career, and I think back, you know, I think when I first became a father, it was a big celebratory thing. Um, and you know other men that I would see, you'd almost get a, you'd almost get a promotion when you had a you get married, you have a child. There's there's an elevated perspe- perception of you, mm-hmm. and and so I can I can acknowledge that that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, yeah, and there's we may also not be able to solve that problem on this podcast, but we we can acknowledge it, right? We can acknowledge that this this is a real thing. Well, one of the things I was, so when I was writing in my book, one of the things I was, I was researching a lot of these areas. And one, one thing that came up time and again, that I thought was interesting is when you look back, um, it's not the distant past or the distant, you know, history was 1974 women still couldn't get credit without a male co-signer and you legally could still discriminate against a woman for pregnancy or the perception that she may become pregnant until 1978. So when you think about that, like those were, those were biases that were held by the, the collective for a long time. Women shouldn't be trusted with money. And um, by the way, if someone's going to have a baby, they're probably not going to be responsible. So you should probably, you know, not hire them. And it becomes a self-fulfilling thing because then and women do end up stepping away, but I would say it's because the corporate structures didn't allow for them to stay with it. So I actually think we have this great opportunity right now with what happened in COVID. Suddenly people saw firsthand. Yeah. Sometimes babies come on zoom calls because that's what people needed to do. And the work still got done. Um, and, and kind of, I think it opened the doors on people to rethink, um, how we engage at work and what it means to be a parent, whether a mom or a dad, um, with kids at home and, and that you can probably still be pretty effective, even if you haven't compartmentalized everything exactly correctly. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I, I work from home probably 80% of the time and we have four children. My daughter will walk through this door any moment, right? At any moment. And she'd be, she'd come over to me, like maybe she made a cookie, maybe she made a piece of Play-Doh. Like, and she would just give it to me. Um, my boys, not so much, but my daughter would definitely do that. And that's just, it's just the way it works here. Um, and this never got in the way of any of my client work at all. So why would that be different if it was a mother and the same thing happened, right? It- because fundamentally it's about the work getting done. If you're doing the work and you're performing, then there really should be no there should be no issues. 
Yeah, totally. And I, I love that you shared that about your daughter coming in because I think that's one of the things that um I feel like we all kind of kind of brought to light in COVID. Um, so one of the things I started the podcast on, my the first story I told is the first term sheet I ever got to negotiate. I did it from my older son's bedroom closet. Like I was like literally like in with the toys and like the dust bunnies and all that stuff because there was like nowhere to go that was quiet in my house. And I had two there at that point, they were little boys and you know, with chaos. And okay. um, I remember. I remember feeling very strongly that I needed to ensure no one could hear mm -hmm. my, my real life, that I needed to compartmentalize these things. And I feel like COVID completely undid, you know, unraveled that idea. I think people have realized that's impossible to, you know, your daughter's going to walk in the room at some point and that's okay. But I think men did a lot to legitimize that being okay. I think a lot of women, um, before COVID would have still, you know, if their daughter tried to walk in the room, might've been like, no, 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 you know, and, um, and now everyone's like, no, it's okay. But, but I think men help legitimize the, the, the idea that meant that you can kind of have a little bit of this messy bleed over of your, your real life. And it's not going to make you a less effective leader or, or team member. That's, that's great. I'm glad we touched on this, uh, Claudia. What, I want to take a, I want to give you a moment. If there's any other thoughts you have on this track you want to share with our listeners. And then I want to, I want to turn a corner and kind of explore how you um, have kept yourself with the ability to, to be adaptive in an, in a startup environment. Do you have any final sure. thoughts on this, this idea, this, this track that we've been talking about with women in the workforce, leaving the workforce and coming back in? Yeah, I mean, I think and it, it does lead into some of the work I'm doing now right now also that to your point, I think the more we can actually be more adaptive by thinking about what are the constraints that we have just accepted as normal and how do we rethink those? So we kind of all have just decided it's normal. The school day is eight to three. It's normal. The work day is nine to five. It's normal to like go into your cubicle. And like, these are all things that are kind of made up, right? They're made up in the last century. And I think this is where I get so excited about entrepreneurship and new, the new, new ways that technology can help folks, because truly if we're just getting back to outcomes versus seat time, um, we can actually create a pretty egalitarian workforce with a lot of opportunity for everyone. So. Yeah. I like that. And if, if you think it through and, and I haven't, so I'm a, I may disagree with what I'm about to say, but I think the nine to five, the eight to four, was really a product of the agrarian culture, you know, farming and manufacturing that mm -hmm. we had in, with the industrial revolution. But we're now in an information age. We are now highly hyper-connected and we have a number of industries that are more knowledge-based, right? Rather than hands-on product-based where you have to physically work with things. Some industries are still you know, hands-on, you've got the healthcare system, you've got manufacturing, you have farming, those require a lot of hands-on, but there's other industries that do not require that, that, that sun up schedule, right? You can only work when the sun is up. And so it's about time that we started recognizing that past infrastructures don't necessarily, aren't, aren't required. They, they, they've literally been shackles on us. So um, we like to, we, we talk about first principles. So how can we take first principles and begin to think about what workforce, what education can look like as we're, 
you know, really taking advantage of the information age we're in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the more, I think when, when people can just take a moment to reflect on, okay, what, what, it, what it here is stuff that we need in order to run the business. And then, you know, the next step is, okay, well, what, what could I change that will allow me to be more adaptive and, you know, anticipating that there will be changes that we probably will need to pivot at different points or go down different paths. Um, just real, real quick. One of the things we do at the company I'm building right now is we do work really hard to follow as an agile process. Um, so we create consistency by having a daily standup meeting. That's only, you know, 15 minutes and, um, you know, having a planning session every two weeks where we decide, you know, what's the work that's going to be done over the next two weeks. Um, and then beyond that, people really have the autonomy to, to fill in the gaps as it makes sense for them during the day. Like we, you know, certain meetings are required. And other than that, just it's, again, it's yeah. focused on outcomes. It's amazing. Structure creates freedom. How, yes, it does. How, how bizarre is that? Right. Discipline <laughs> creates freedom. Um, it's like, uh, so, strengths create or lead to creativity too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about this, uh, Claudia, because I want to kind of, I want to kind of get into your mindset and the principles, values that you've embodied that have allowed you to, you know, create a couple, you know, you did, you had a startup earlier on, um, you, that turned out to, you closed, you exited that through a sale. You're now working on council. So talk, take us into your world, Claudia, how do you approach your day, your thinking so that in a startup sense, you can really be open to the shifts of the market, to the shifts of resources. Tell us how, how, how are you an adaptive executive? Yeah. So I think at my core, I'm a, I'm a pretty optimistic person. And I, I, and I, I believe that all that, if that, that good things happen um, and that if you, you take steps and, and I, but I also believe that I don't, I can't always predict exactly what will happen or how something will play out, but that if I put in the work and I take the steps um, I'll, I'll stay on a, on a path where good things can happen. And um, so, yeah, with our, the first startup, um, I never would have predicted when I started it where we ended up, which was um, acquired by one of the big publishing companies. Um, but I think I'm just always open to possibilities and open to what what new doors are appearing. Um, and you know, when we went on the other side into um, you know, the, you know, actually going back first, actually with my first company, I think one of the other things that I really focus on is how do we make sure we're delighting customers? Um, how do we make sure that we're actually solving a problem that matters um, that, that I, you know, that we want to spend time on um, and, and thinking about your customers also leads to good things. Um, and that also, if you think about your customers a lot, that's also how, you know, when, if you're, if you're really solving a real problem or if you need to pivot or if you need to do something better. Um, and so that keeping that mindset and that like sort of empathy with customers, I think also, also allows us to keep, keep moving. And, and it's kind of like being receptive to feedback too. Um, but so, yeah, I'm, I'm big on being open to possibilities. That's what allowed me to keep going when I was inside um, our acquiring company. And then um, I actually left HMH in 2018 to become a managing director with Techstars. Um, and Techstars is really focused on helping entrepreneurs. And um, 
and I, and it was just a really great opportunity to not only be part of that organization, but to be able to make investments and provide support to companies that were actually back in my old neck of the woods in Connecticut, where I had started out. So, um, and actually with a manufacturing partner with Stanley Black and Decker. Um, and mm. so it was a new, yeah, it was, I was just open to possibilities and also thinking about how I could give back. Um, and, um, and, and then really, made the decision to jump into council um, and start council for a couple of reasons. Um, during that time that I was at HMH and then Techstars, I had had an opportunity to join the board of directors for a company called Lessonly, um, which was an, uh, an earlier LMS company. They had a phenomenal um, growth story. They just, they did really, really well. And they were just um, acquired actually in August by another company here in Boston. And so, um, during that time, I got to know the folks at High Alpha really well because two of them were on the, the board of directors. Um, and so that's that's where, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I should I kind of put it in three buckets. I'd say care about who you're serving, know who you're serving, being open to possibilities and really valuing the relationships that you build over time. Um, I wouldn't be building this company right now if it weren't for some of the relationships I built um, with folks at High Alpha over the years. Um, and I still deeply value the relationships I've built at, you know, Techstars and other companies I've worked at. And I believe that, um, you know, relationships matter too, so. So I wanna click on a couple of things in there. So um, you talked about openness and optimism, right? Um, I can relate completely to that. Uh, what I find though is there's a counterbalance, right? If you're always open, how do you make a decision? Mm -hmm. So maybe you can walk us through, like how do you get to closure as someone that is generally very open to different options? I mean, I, I think we part of being an effective leader is being able to make, it doesn't mean you always make the right decision, but that you can make a decision <laughs> quickly uh, with conviction and um, and be willing to make a new decision if you need to, right? And so, and admit if you, something didn't work. Um, and so I think I'm very good at, at making, at moving, becoming convicted and making a decision on, hey, this is how we're going to go forward. Um, and then, you know, and that, th those decisions close off the other, they, they shut the other doors by the, if yeah. you've been specific enough, but I remain open, like, Hey, okay, I'm now I'm going to measure like, how, how is this new decision working? Um, am I, am I really doing the right things to ensure that this will work, um, or has the best option, you know, possibility of working? Um, and if it is great, keep going. If it's not time to make a new decision. <laughs> so. Yes, I like that. I like that. And because, but there is a balance there because some people are very closed, like they're very fixed and in their predisposition, right? And, and you know, we, we need all different types of personality styles and cognitive styles in the workforce. Um, but being able to acknowledge the type of person that you come with, like your initial energy, like as openness and optimistic, but also knowing that you can balance that, like when you need to make a decision, you can because you know you can make another decision in 10 minutes or in two weeks if you need to. Yes, exactly. Love so. it. Now you talked about caring about the people you're serving. So, and what I think you said is you spend a lot of time or attention on your customers, on your clients and really getting to know what it is that they value. So what are some of the things you're doing or you've done to do that? 
Yeah. So like right now, for example, um, the platform that we've been building, we've been building it with the idea that um, many people who are trying to uh, either deliver coaching one-on-one or in, in groups or in teams have really faced, you know, 83% of folks who provide these types of services have made the transition to virtual because of COVID and all the things we know or have happened in the world. But the tools that they're using are often um, disjointed, disconnected. Um, we've heard in our research that it's difficult for folks sometimes to feel like they're providing like a, you know real continuity for people participating in say a, a group coaching experience. Um, so we really set out to build a platform that would make those types of um, interactions you know more more seamless, more positive. Um, and so what we've been doing is actually inviting folks who are, um, you know, certified coaches and experienced coaches to join our wait list. And we're starting to demo for them and starting to see if what we're building is resonating. Um, and if it is, then, you know, getting people right in there. And if it's not really trying to understand why and trying to uncover, um, you know, what we could do to improve on our end or, you know, where, where maybe we need to, to learn more about the experiences folks are trying to, to provide. So we, we set out to um, get hundred folks on our wait list and we're now at almost 400 um, and, so that's super exciting. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to, I think continuously trying to engage with folks and really, really uncover what, what their pain is and how we can help solve it. You know, I think in a really great example of a company that everyone has heard of that solves pain and it's coming up this time of year again, is you know, TurboTax makes it really easy to file your taxes, right? It's a clear pain point. Everyone's got to do it. Here you go. Here's software. And, um, I think we, we're working right now to ensure that we really are solving the right pain points and that we're really, um, that we're going to be delighting our customers. That's our, our goal right now. So we, we have a lot more work to do, but I'm excited about the, yeah. the possibilities. So, Well, thank you. And I want to thank you for um, giving us a, a peek at the back end and to get to, with our team to play with it. And, you know, we'll, we'll have some feedback for you as we get to use it as well. So I want to thank you I appreciate you it. Um, the, the next thing you talked about is building relationships and maybe, so in the, in the, from the point of view of being adaptive, how, how do you see as a, being a networker or a connector, um, benefit, like the, the idea of, of, of being able to pivot into new directions? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's actual studies out there that point to organizations, um, that are, that are able to make, you know, the shift to digital or focus on remaining innovative, um, collaboration is a big piece of that. There's no one like I'm the innovator at this company, right? Like everyone needs to, you know, diversity brings more innovation, diversity and leadership brings more creativity and innovation and fostering more ways for people to collaborate um, helps with that. And so, you know, thinking about ways that we're including others in, in our, you know, our process will help. I found from a relationship standpoint, um, and this was actually something that really got reinforced um, and was a core value at Techstars, where I, I just was, has, have spent a good amount of time over the last few years, is the idea of always working to assume good intent in others. Um, and especially like as we're more and more disengaged from each other and disconnected over, you know, geography and, and whatnot, trying to take a step back when you get that email that you want to have a knee-jerk reaction to and realize, wait a minute, this person... I'm sure this person did not mean what I, whatever I'm thinking, they meant something good. And just taking that minute to say to yourself, I'm sure there's a good intent here, 
allows you to move from a place of combativeness or reaction to a place of collaboration and actual communication, right? And so um, I try to maintain that mindset. And obviously as a leader, there's, there's certain points where you have to look at behaviors and say, Hey, this isn't the behavior, you know, that, that someone at this team or, or whatnot can exhibit. Therefore, you know, we need to, to move on or whatever the case is. But for the most part, I do believe that people have good intentions. And if you can remind yourself of that, you can not only build better relationships with that person in the moment, but those will become relationships you have, you know, from every point of your journey. Absolutely. That reminds me, I don't know if you've ever heard the book, um, Crucial Conversations. Have you yes. ever heard of that title? Yeah. So in that book, there's a phrase, and I use this a lot with clients, is why would a reasonable, rational person behave this way? Mm. That like, and what you're talking about, when somebody you know, communicates something or behaves in a way that is just like really not what you would expect, maybe feels personalized to you. It might be, could be seen as an attack. If you have the wherewithal to pause and ask that question, why would a reasonable, rational person behave this way? That question has probably saved me more times than I can count. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's just, a powerful question to ask. Yeah. So what you just said kind of triggered that for me and it brought it back up. Um, this is a great conversation, Claudia. I want to you know, pivot towards um, our last question, our last theme here. You know, what are some maybe infrastructure things or what are some of you done, things you've done with your team so that your whole team can remain, you know, your organization can adapt and pivot with the market? Um, and, and I ask this because we're in a, we're in a market that is changing so fast. Mm. Right. And, and I actually heard um, someone say many years ago, and I've said this on this podcast before, the last five years of change are the slowest it will ever be. Mm. And that I believe still remains to be true. And so as we continue to evolve, as innovation continues to progress and technology continue, the infrastructure continues to, to develop and mature, I think we're going to see things moving even faster. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, the impetus for this podcast is to have these conversations. How do we as organizations remain adaptive and keep up with these super fast changes that are coming? And I'd love to hear what you're thinking, what you guys have done. So any thoughts you have on that? Yeah, no, I love that question. Thank you for asking it. So I, I think of it in a couple of different ways. Um, back when I was at HMH, I actually got to participate in a program at MIT called like sustaining and building the innovative organization. And one of the, the big catchphrases that came up. Um, so I guess, you know, it also depends on the level of people in the organization. So I'll kind of start at the top. At the top, I think it's really important um, to be thinking about not who is your competitor today, but who are your potential competitors tomorrow? And one of the, the best examples of this, that, you know, from a case study standpoint, I guess, is like, you know, if you remember Blockbuster and, um, and Netflix and there, if, if the, the metric was if Black, at one point, Netflix was doubling in size, but it wasn't um, anywhere near as big as as Blockbuster, and if you if they had been looking at not who's our direct competitor right this moment, but who's doubling at the edge of our ecosystem, mm 
that was going to be a very good indicator of who you may be up against someday. And so I think from a super high level, kind of a top of an organization, mm-hmm. it's thinking about ways to, to actually interact more with startups, to interact more with the ecosystem of where things are just starting to grow so that you, you, you say to your core focus, you make sure you're delighting your customers, but you're, you're aware of sort of the trends happening in the ecosystem inside the, the core teams, deeper inside the company. Um, and especially as you get more and more junior folks inside the company, I think it's really this idea of structures, creating opportunities for creativity and innovation. I, I think it's really true. I think, um, helping people really understand what our monthly quarterly high level goals are. And under, and when we, when we approach things at a company level from an agile process and think about things in, Hey, this is, this is our big, our big goal for the next quarter or for the next six months. But let's talk today about what we're, we're going to do over the next two weeks. And let's see how we get that done. That creates a mindset where maybe two weeks from now we need to adjust because we can look at, is that still our goal? Um, and is this still the work that needs to be done over the next two weeks in order to achieve that goal? And so letting people think in smaller increments, but with big vision, I think is helpful. Um, and then, you know, if you're, like when in my previous um, work at Techstars, I think one of the things before starting council, um, a lot of the people I worked with were very much peers. They were all other um, managing directors, for example, who are very experienced um, people, many of whom have already built companies. Um, I, I think one of the things that was really helpful there was actually creating more opportunities for like monthly like forum engagements and um, giving people who had shared experiences a way to, to offer up what was working for them, what wasn't working for them, and basically introducing more and more um, like peer, peer learning and peer experience sharing or some other things to consider. And actually when I was at HMH, we did some of that as well with um, managers inside the company, like pulling together managers from different orgs so that you could have like peer, peer sharing and learning going on. That's fantastic. So I'm going to put a, a commercial in for myself at that point, because we are going, we are organizing and going to launch an executive salon um, uh, very, very awesome. soon. And we'll be gathering virtually and then we'll begin an in-person and the themes are going to be people and strategy inside of organizations. So we'll, we'll talk that more sounds about amazing. that. And, it, <laughs> and if you're a listener and you want, it is invite only, but you can send us an, send us a, a heads up, let us know that you're interested and we'll take a look and we'll see if we can get you an invite. So and commercial. Um, <laughs> this is fantastic, Claudia. I really love the, the thoughts you're sharing and the perspective you're coming at. As we kind of turn to wind down this conversation, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you have going on with Council right now. Maybe if any listeners want to find you or engage with you or check out Council, where should they go? How do they How do they connect with you? Thanks for asking. Yeah, and I actually have to hop in just a minute to go on one of the standups I mentioned. Um, so council, our website is uh, council.us. So that's C-O-U-N-C-I-L dot U-S. Um, and we have a little um, form folks can fill out who are interested in, in joining the wait list to learn more. Um, but we're, we've essentially been building a platform that facilitates um, creation of groups, uh, asynchronous and synchronous uh, meetings uh, and video and chat, and really giving people a way to um, build their visions uh, and goals along with action items over time. And really all the things that go into, um, you know, a, what an effective coach needs to, to engage with his or her coaches. So really excited about it. All right, there it is. Um, everybody, Claudia Ruder, founder 
of Council. You can check it out at council.us. Uh, author of Yes, You Can Do This and the host of the podcast called The 43%. Uh, we'll put all the links in the show notes and you can check out Claudia and her team and the work they're doing. Claudia, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us on the Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard and thank you for listening.